Jesus reminded us last Sunday that when we come to him in repentance, he meets us with all, all the redemptive power of God. Uh, This morning, we are going to see some of the different ways that he works that power out in our lives together. And my hope is that when we leave here this morning, it will not only deepen our own journey with Jesus toward profound change and transformation, but also we'll be able to help others uh, in their own journey with Jesus too, whether that's at the beginning of the journey or in the middle of the journey. Uh, So let's get to it. Acts chapter 2, I said verse 42. I'm going to start in verse 41 because that kind of connects to the context I was talking about. So verse 41 through 47. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Thus far the reading of God's own word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the profound gift of your scriptures, which uh, teach us how to walk with Christ and show us the way in which uh, you bring the transforming power of your word to bear in the lives of your people. The Lord, as thankful as we are for your word, we know that without your Holy Spirit's blessing and going forth with it, it will accomplish uh, nothing in our lives. And so we pray that your spirit would bless us now with humility so that we might understand your word. And also, Lord, we pray that your spirit would bless us with ears to hear your word, minds to receive it and understand it, hearts to believe it. And Lord, may the, uh, medita- may the words of my mouth as your preacher, and may the meditation of all our hearts as those who are called to hear and receive and respond to your word, may it all now be pleasing in your sight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The very first thing we're told happened after the addition of the 3,000 new disciples is that they, verse 42, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Now, the word for devoted means to give full attention to someone by spending regular and frequent time with them, to give full attention to someone by spending regular and frequent time with them. Uh, which is not the same idea as so many of our images of devotion would lead us to believe. For many of us, when we see the word devotion, we think of being totally engrossed in something. The whole world is blocked out except for the thing that you are devoted to. It's like tunnel vision that here uh, appeared to last for days on end. And if that's how you've thought about devotion then you've likely reasoned when you've read this passage in your own uh, Bible reading, uh, that's great that they had that kind of time and life where they could give that kind of exclusive, incessant attention to Jesus and his church. But I I have a family. I have a job. I have obligations. Uh, I I have limits. I, I need to eat and sleep. 
and I also need to play. Uh, I, I can't have that kind of devotion. That kind of devotion is for super Christians. It's not for me. Uh, my friends, that image of devotion that you're basing that reading on is wrong. Devotion does not mean tunnel vision or exclusive, incessant, or exhaustive attention that forces you to ignore your family, leave your job, or stop sleeping. Uh, the word for devotion, at least the Greek word there, means that you give someone faithful attention, meaning you are committed to paying attention to that person by spending regular, that is not uh, ad hoc, so regular, and frequent time with them. So not, you know, every once in a while when the Spirit moves you, but regular and frequent time you give to spending attention to someone. So when they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers, what was happening was the 12 apostles, the 120 or so original disciples, and these 3,000 new disciples of Jesus, they set regular times to meet together. They met frequently, so at least once a week in worship, and they did so faithfully, that is, reliably. They made a commitment to those things, and then they kept that commitment. It was about setting aside regular time for these things and then showing up and practicing them together. And then you go home and you give your attention to your family or your job or your neighbors or your nap, like whatever needed to happen that day. Uh, but as you did that, you would do so changed, even in small degrees, because you have been devoted, you have given regular and consistent attention to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. Your devotion changed the way you lived the rest of your life. And this picture of devotion is not only, I think, very powerful, uh, it's also easily within your grasp. This is for adults. It's for children, too, uh, who the text tells us were included in those who were added to the fellowship. And that was just a, earlier in verse uh, 40 or 39. Uh, and I think this whole idea of devotion, along with some other ideas in the Bible of loyalty, trustworthiness, communion, I think they're all kind of captured in an ancient church practice that is often called a rule of life. Uh, this is an old idea. It's an old idea. Uh, you see it most famously, this is how most people know it, uh, in the Benedictine rule of life, with, which uh, Benedict of Nursia came up with in the late 400s, the shaped monastic life. But you see a different way, version, I should say, of a rule of life even earlier in the church fathers. Irenaeus and Tertullian talk about it. Uh, cool fact, Irenaeus and Tertullian were disciples of Polycarp. Uh, which probably doesn't sound very cool to you uh, until you learn that Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John. So Irenaeus and Tertullian are writing in the mid-100s, less than a generation after John the Apostle joined Jesus in glory. And they talk quite frequently about the importance and impact of faithful, regular, devoted prayer and worship on your life as a disciple. Uh, and they said... This is mostly Tertullian who put it this way. The, or yeah, Tertullian. The rule of praying becomes the rule of believing. The rule of praying becomes the rule of believing, by which they meant 
The way you organize your life around prayer, the word, and worship becomes the way you live your life. And the things you organize your life around become the things that appear most prominently in your life. They shape you into a certain kind of person who will act in a certain kind of way based on the practices that you have adopted as the framework that you build your life around. This is another way of talking about devotion. What you faithfully and regularly give your time and attention to, that is a rule of life. And it will shape you into a certain kind of person who acts a certain kind of way. Uh, Jesus here is showing us what happens when we devote ourselves to faithful, consistent prayer and worship. It literally changes not just our lives, but the lives of everyone around us, which is why when these 3,000 new disciples were brought into the church, they were brought into a very particular rule of life. They were given a set of devotional practices that they were called to build their lives around. And these practices, good news for us, were not beyond any of them, and they weren't beyond us. And in fact, as you'll see, these practices didn't necessarily take them all day. Uh, many of them probably didn't even take an hour most days, or even maybe half an hour, uh, and they would only kind of take about an hour and a half on Sunday, which thankfully is about the length of time that our worship service is. Uh, which is not to say that these practices were always easy to do, but they didn't require you to abandon your family, embrace voluntary poverty, or move into the desert. Uh, but this devotion to Jesus in prayer and worship became both the tool for building a joy-filled community and the foundation for passing that community on, not just to the next generation, but for the new Christians who were joining them each day, right? As that, our passage tells us, and they were added to their number daily, those who were being saved. And as this number was added to them daily by Jesus, they were brought into the same rule of life, into these same life-changing devotional practices. So what did they devote themselves to? We're told first, this is our second point, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, uh, teaching is a very fine translation. It's a translation that I used when I was working through this passage. But because for most of us, teaching means normally passing on information, we tend to think of this much too narrowly. If you're like me, when I've read this over the years, I thought of the 3,000 somehow sitting all in chairs, straining to hear Peter give a lecture on systematic theology, um, infralapsarian, superlapsarian, eschatology, all that kind of stuff. I now think that's not quite right. Uh, the word translated teaching is the same word we translate as disciple. And since for us, discipleship means not simply knowing about Jesus, but is also involved in how you follow Jesus, I believe it's better for us to say they devoted themselves to the apostles' discipleship. So what does that mean? I think it means two things that are actually very important for us. The first thing it means is this community set aside regular time to come and learn from the apostles what a follower of Jesus is supposed to believe and how a follower of Jesus is supposed to live. So part of what they experienced regularly were definitely sermons from the apostles focused on the life in teaching of Jesus and the, the rest of the scriptures that they had, the Old Testament at that point. 
But I don't think it was only sermons. I also believe that they gave more focused and potentially even individualized discipleship lessons as well. So the man carrying bitterness in his heart toward his sister was instructed and shown and led in how to pray for her and in how to forgive her, how to pursue reconciliation with her if possible. And if it wasn't possible to reconcile, how to live in peace with her insofar as he was able as he waited on the Lord to work his forgiveness out in that relationship. Or uh, the woman who used public humiliation to get her children or her friends to act how she wanted. She was instructed about Jesus' words that even if you call someone a fool, you have opened yourself up to judgment. She was made to sit and listen to Jesus' words about how important it is to build up others to protect people's reputations. And then not only sort of spoken generally, but what those words sounds like. And then she was also taught how to ask for forgiveness, to take responsibility for her words and to seek reconciliation for what she said. Or the soldier that we hypothesized a little bit, there were definitely soldiers who had this, like in our world, humans weren't built for war, uh, who had with the nightmares. Uh, maybe he learned how to receive forgiveness. Maybe he learned how to mourn with Jesus. Maybe his wife learned how to grieve with her husband, and he learned how to grieve with her. And together, maybe they learned meekness as they sought a new relationship with their children through the rebuilding power of Christ. And maybe their children learned what it meant to join Jesus in the prayer he prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. See, this regular and faithful time of meeting with the apostles was not simply theological instruction. It was theology embodied. This is what we are called to. This is who Jesus is. This is who we are in him. This is, what he, this, is, this, is, this is how worship looks like, and this is how we do it. This is how we join him. This is what it looks like. This is what it feels like. This is what it sounds like. And let us help you do it. Not simply go off and do, but let's do it shoulder to shoulder together, bearing one another's burdens, as Paul says in Galatians, so fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, which brings me to a very quick side note. There is absolutely no way, no way it is impossible that the 12 apostles could bring this level of discipleship to 3,000 people. It is not possible. Uh, but with the help of the 120, they could. One of the things we'll see as we go through Acts is that it takes the entire church together with both the official leaders and the unofficial leaders, like we considered a couple of weeks ago, leading and guiding this kind of culture as they unite in devotion to Jesus. I think we can downplay the importance of the entire body of Christ and of these uh, other 120 disciples and then those who join them in mature faith because we tend, I think, this is just cultural as Americans, we tend to look at the, the prominent leaders and say, ah, I wish that I, you know, it's Peter who did it. It's, uh, it's James who did it. It's John who did it. If only we had these prominent, flashy, articulate, powerful leaders. And like, it's great if you can have that. But what is happening here in Acts is not simply these well-formed, uh, powerful, inspiring apostles, but also these others, many of whom have no names, who were drawing alongside uh, of these new Christians 
and saying, let me walk with you. Let Talk to me. Tell me about your relationship with your, your mom and dad, your spouse, your sister, your brother, your coworker. Oh, okay, that's, thank you for sharing. That must be hard for you. Let, let's, let's think about this. How does Jesus want us to respond? Let's pray together. Let's seek his will. Let's follow his word. Uh, relatedly, as we'll go through Acts in that light, uh, you're going to see different kinds of gatherings of Christians. This is important. You'll see Christians gathering on Sunday. We're going to talk about in a second. It's happening in verse 42. But you'll also see them, like in verse 46, which we're going to talk about either next Sunday or the Sunday after, gathering in homes, which I believe were part of the way the disciples of the church, discipleship of the church, was brought further into people's lives. Because in these smaller home gatherings, not the larger corporate worship settings, Christians were able to help and carry and encourage one another as they devoted themselves to Jesus' way of life in the Bible. By the way, that's one of the reasons why we have our own growth groups here at Grace. We need these larger corporate gatherings, and we need smaller gatherings if we are going to mature and grow into the kind of joy-filled, transformed community that Jesus has opened the door to in his mercy and grace. Uh, but smaller group gatherings uh, are for two, one or two Sundays from now. Uh, right now, in verse 42, we learn that not only did they devote themselves to the apostles' discipleship, but here's our third point, they also devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. So uh, it's become common knowledge among Bible scholars that the prayers refers to the set prayers of corporate worship. These were the prayers, uh, blessing God for who he was, asking for God's forgiveness, giving thanks for his kindness, asking for his help, asking for his transformation, much like the prayers that are in our worship service this morning. Uh, these prayers were usually taken directly from the Psalms or other prayers that were in the Bible, but if they weren't used verbatim, they were, again, as ours are, always based on Scripture and full of those Scripture references. The breaking of the bread is, in my understanding, a pretty clear reference to communion. Now, not every instance of breaking bread means communion. I don't think the breaking of bread in their homes in verse 46 is communion, but here I think it is because it's used with the prayers, which are the prayers of corporate worship, and also the fellowship. So when it's the fellowship, not just fellowship, so fellowship with a the, uh, that's the way Acts and other parts of the New Testament talk about corporate Sunday worship, or at least it's one way they talk about corporate Sunday worship. So not, it's not fellowship, you can see that in your translations. It's not simply the relationships that exist within the church, but the fellowship, the regular gathering of God's people in worship on Sunday. Okay, so I said all of that now so I can say this. Part of the faithful, regular, time-spending devotion of the early church, their rule of life was the regular gathering of worship on Sunday with each other to pray, to listen, to repent, to be forgiven, to be changed, and to commune with Jesus. Because in every element of worship service, we have a, a foundational piece of the Christian life brought forward again for us to devote ourselves to, to give our attention to, and to take into our hearts. When worship begins, 
It begins with thanks and adoration, recognizing who Jesus is, who God is, what he's done, the kind of person our God is. We get to confess our sins. How many of us struggle to admit when we are wrong each week? Confession of sin is an opportunity for us to come and for Jesus to pry our mouth open so we can take responsibility and learn to say, you know what? I screwed that up. I'm sorry. How many of us struggle to be forgiven? How many of us struggle to receive forgiveness from the people next to us? And how many of us struggle to receive it from Jesus? Every Sunday, Jesus comes and he, um, I don't know if this is the right metaphor or not, but forces forgiveness into your heart. Hey, take it. (laughs) You have to receive. I have forgiven you. You are forgiven. You are free. You don't need to be afraid. I've adopted you. He teaches us how to enter into his generosity and the giving of our tithes and offering. He teaches us how to pray for one another. How many of us, when we come to church on Sunday, sometimes come dreading uh, interacting with some people in the body? Or maybe we're dreading interacting with some people at home. And we, we need to be brought into this discipline of how to pray for the people around us, how to engage in the fellowship of the saints, not of the people we have chosen, but of the people God has brought together and made his family. In the same way, when we take communion, we are brought into that powerful reality of Jesus that the church belongs to him and we have communion with him uh, together. That even if that person annoys me, frustrates me, or I don't understand how they could even call themselves a Christian or whatever, Jesus says, look, I have brought them to my table. Love them. As I love, worship every week is this prime rule of life, this way of devotion that creates change in us as we again renew our life with Christ. And uh, here I want us to see that at the center and core of their devotional practices was Sunday worship. Every week they regularly and faithfully spent time with Jesus and with Jesus' people in corporate worship. Now, did their rule of life include other practices? Yes. We're going to look at those. Should ours? Yes. We're going to look at those. But I don't want you to miss this basic point. Here, Sunday worship is the foundational devotional practice of God's people. It is the first devotional practice listed along with devoting to the apostles' teaching, which would have come first in the sermons before it came into their small group gatherings. It is the cornerstone of their transformed life that made it so that everyone outside the church, I don't know if you noticed this, spoke well of them. These Christians are amazing. They're so kind and generous and gentle, and they that guy was mean to me, and I got mad, and he was like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Like I sinned against you. Would you please forgive me? And when I sinned against her, she said, I forgive you. I forgive you. You're spoken well of of everyone. It's this cornerstone of transformation that changed the way this group of God's people lived in the world and by doing that literally changed the world around them. Sunday worship is the first act of faithful and regular attention to Jesus, Jesus, out of which all the other acts of devotion, including small groups, 
private prayer, group prayer, all the change that they foster, it all flows out of that. And so what that means for us who want to change and grow is we need to build our lives in part around Sunday worship with God's people. Uh, This takes priority over football as we enter football season. This takes priority over work. This takes priority over our yards and even over our tiredness. To build your life around something also means that sometimes you need to say no to things that you might even enjoy because you want to say yes to meeting Jesus and being changed by him. This is deeply important for us. Now, I say all that, I want to say this too. Jesus is not a tyrant. He's not an unfeeling jerk. Uh, You will have weeks where you will miss because of illness. Uh, You won't be able to get off of work every Sunday, as many of the slaves in the early church certainly could not have. But, but, uh, those are supposed to be the exceptions to the devotional rule of life, not the rule. The rule is to devote yourself to Jesus, you first devote yourself to the regular hour and a half time together that we have here at Grace or wherever your church is at home, on Sunday, where you pay attention to Jesus and the things he is saying to you and doing for you and with you in worship. Because it's in worship that we all get to sit under the discipleship of Jesus' teaching in the Bible. And this is true for me too. Worship is when we learn how to embody love for Christ. It's where we learn how to pray and where we experience the beautiful unity of communion with Jesus as we sit next to each other and take communion together and have the same destiny, resurrection life, held out in front of us. Now, there's a lot more to say on this. Uh, I have more aspects of this devotion to think about in future sermons, but for today, let's realize that being devoted to Jesus is something that is definitely in our grasp. Uh, We can do this. We can learn how to follow Christ and be transformed. Uh, We can help each other learn from Christ. And it all starts here for us in this community, one and a half hours on Sunday. Uh, So let's make sure, beloved, that regular attendance of Sunday worship is something we build our lives around so that what Jesus has for us, the good life-transforming blessings of his grace, can be received by us in faith and then carried out into our lives to the amazement of the world around us. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, please help us to devote ourselves to uh, the worship and to the discipleship of Jesus so that our lives would be changed and we could experience the fullest measure possible of the freedom and the joy and the peace that are ours through Christ. And Father, as you add to our number those who are being saved, as we pray that you will, Please help us to invite them into this rule of life and to model it well for them so that with us, they can experience the sanctifying, transforming, life-changing power of our Savior Jesus to its fullest extent possible. And uh, we pray this all in his name and for the sake of his work in our lives and that of a great desire uh, that we would together look more and more like our Savior and so enjoy Uh, each other more as we experience uh, his joy in our hearts. Amen.